Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. The Lord led me a few weeks ago while working through the last 10 or 20 chapters of Isaiah to a passage of Scripture that for several weeks I couldn't say out loud without bawling. Whether I'm able to convey that to you or not isn't in my power because no one was able to convey that to me except the Lord Himself. And the Lord Himself has to do the work in you to appreciate what I'm only going to be able to start today, but that I want to continue for a little while and see how the Lord leads in using this as a starting point. A simple goal I have is to increase your faith and your love in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to help you believe on Him more and to have greater passion for Him. I shared verses with you on Wednesday evening where the Apostle Paul wrote in both epistles to Timothy for an increase of faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That's what I want to accomplish. Faith and love are keys. We want to believe on Him more so that no other belief ever rattles us at all. But our trust and our confidence is completely in Him. And we want to be passionate about Him and love Him and love His works and what He's done for us and love is appearing because the Bible says we are supposed to love His appearing, His second coming. Jesus, the Son of God, should be the most important object of our study and worship in the New Testament Gospel. No matter what we learn about Jehovah from the Old Testament or maybe from the New, He cannot and will not accept us without His Son. The Lord Jehovah loves His Son. God our Father loves His Son. We want to love His Son. The faith that overcomes the world believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 1 John chapter 5. You can overcome the world. You can overcome the worldly part of you by the faith that Jesus is the Son of God. It's 1 John 5, 4 and 5. And that faith is born of God. For us ever to believe on the Son of God, we were born to it by being born again to it by the regenerating power of God Himself. The summary of our faith I went over on Wednesday evening and have gone over it this morning. The summary of our religion, the summary of the truth of God is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. That's about the Lord Jesus. Justified in the Spirit, that was Jesus. Received up into glory, that was Jesus. A pastor must must preach Christ crucified to build your faith in Him without human wisdom involved. And so human eloquence and human wisdom, human tears, while there are tearful pastors and they get their audience to cry, it's not scriptural. That is not how preaching is done in the Bible. And so we want to emphasize Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This sermon was not inspired or planned based on current circumstances in America but it fits them well. 
our president exposes fake news because the experts, the so-called experts and the media hardly have a clue about anything, even their fields of study, and change their so-called truth constantly. The one constant you can count on is change. Red meat is good for you. Red meat is not good for you. Oh, red meat is good for you again. You need to wear masks in public. No one should be wearing masks in public. Everyone should again be wearing masks in public. Now, if you're current with the news, you'll know what I'm talking about. These changes have happened in the last few hours. The World Health Organization is the most ignorant organization on earth, and it's one of the most malicious in covering the Chinese communist virus. But my sermon is not about that. My sermon is about the change. The World Health Organization said we needed to wear masks. Then they said no masks. And in the last 36 hours, yes masks. Our president has warned us about fake news. The Bible tells us about fake news. And I want to give you something today that you can rest on, bet your life on, enter death, the curtains of death on, and that is the certainty of the Lord Jesus Christ in governing this world. The World Health Organization embraced the cure of hydroxychloroquine, rejected the cure of hydroxychloroquine by a false slanderous study, and then restored it again as fast as they could as they withdrew that false study. I didn't arrange all this, and it wouldn't have been part of my introduction if it hadn't been for the circumstances that God's sent us. The pandemic will kill millions, they told us. Now they say it's orders of magnitude, and you need to go look up that word, it's orders of magnitude less. It's not percentage points less, it's orders of magnitude less. The the SpaceX launch is on, the SpaceX launch is off. The SpaceX launch is on again. The one constant you can count on is change. But I'm going to tell you about a man, the man Christ Jesus, who never changes. His doctrine never changes. He never changes. His love never changes. And I want you to trust in him and rest in him and love him for the fact that he never changes. Is it global warming that is coming, or is it a coming ice age? They don't know. Should we bleed presidents to death like we did George Washington, or should we try another remedy? Popes add doctrines and remove doctrines. Limbus, the place for babies, Pope Frank took away. They add doctrines in the 19th century, They added doctrines in the 20th century. They add doctrines, remove doctrines according to their whims and changing religious climates. Mormons, do you practice polygamy or not? Your founder did. That's why he was killed by a mob 176 years ago on June 27th in Carthage, Illinois. 
Pagans change anything. The one constant they have is change. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He called in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the wise men and the soothsayers. And he said, I had a dream last night that troubled me. I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation. I am asking you to tell me my dream because one thing is certain. You will change your story if I tell my dream. So you tell my dream. See, Nebuchadnezzar knew about the change that takes place in the world. The one constant in this world is not as much death and taxes, but it is change. Listen, taxes just got extended 90 days to July 15th from April 5th. Taxes aren't sure. And I know a man that didn't die. In fact, I know several that didn't die. Elijah didn't die. He was carried into heaven. And I know men that died that came back to life. So death isn't certain. But the change is certain. Everything you know and everyone you know changes. But the one I'm going to tell you about never changes. And I hope you'll like the verse that I'm going to use to teach you that he never changes. When men make promises... They either hedge their statements internally, hedge them verbally, or change anyway. So uncertain is your life that you do not know if you will be alive tomorrow. Thus a warning. Boast not thyself in tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Life is uncertain because we gave it to Satan in the Garden of Eden when we could have eaten from the tree of life forever. We will eat from the tree of life soon because it blooms in all seasons and bears fruit in all seasons according to the book of Revelation. Comfort for your life. Comfort for your soul. Your faith and your hope all depend on the certainty and immutability of the one making promises to you. A promise made to you, the promise of future good in this world or the next world. The promise of future good is only as good as the certainty, the veracity, the immutability of the one making the promise. All other persons you will ever meet will fail your faith and fail your trust by either their lack of affection for you or by their inability to help you. And it's not all that terrible of a statement I just made. I said it to my wife. I said it to my children. I said it to my grandchildren. Because all I want them to do, my wife, my children and my grandchildren is to put their faith and trust in one only who will absolutely certainly keep his word to you forever in this world and the next. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can give us true peace. He can say, peace, be still. And the Sea of Galilee that was having a great storm on it 
can change to a great calm. When your soul has a great storm in it, because you're spending five minutes of distracting, wasting, deceiving time, looking at the news and the animals in our streets, he can speak peace to your soul. And you need to go to him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, is entirely different from all others. He will never fail you. He will never disappoint you. Period. I want to give you something to hold on for the rest of your life. I'm going to give you a soundbite. And I'm going to milk this soundbite over the next few sermons. And I want to hear it coming out of your mouths. I want to hear it. And so you're at 2 Corinthians. But I didn't tell you the chapter. Because now it's time to tell you the chapter. Or some of you would try to read ahead. I know my church. I know me. And I know the temptation would be great. I want you to turn to the first chapter of 2 Corinthians. And in this first chapter, I will leave behind verses 3 through 5 that say, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Those five uses of comfort are precious to people. I pass over it. I come down to verse 8, and where the apostle says some things that ought to get our attention about enduring tribulations in this world. Paul wrote, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. And amen. I want you to remember that Asia in the Bible equals Turkey. And that Ephesus was the chief city of Asia where Paul spent his most time. I want you to remember that Greece had a northern half called Macedonia, where was Philippi and Thessalonica, and a southern half called Achaia, where was Corinth. Because you're going to need that geography in your head, and this is not a sermon for slides. I come to verse 15, and let me read a few to you. And in this confidence, I was minded to come unto you before, that ye might have a second benefit. Paul wrote the Corinthian church. And to pass by you into Macedonia, and to come again out of Macedonia unto you, and of you to be brought on my way toward Judea. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word towards you was not yea and nay. 
for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, under the glory of God by us. Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet into Corinth. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. Amen and amen. Thus saith the Lord. I hope that before today ends, most or all of our children or adults will tell me 1 Timothy 3.16 from memory. I'll never tire of hearing it. And if you want to come and tell it to me, I'll be glad to hear it. But I'm telling you right now that as soon as this Sunday is over, well, as soon as next Sunday is over, when the others that couldn't be here can be here to tell me 1 Timothy 3.16, then I want you to memorize another verse. I want you to memorize the 20th verse of this chapter. For all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. 2 Corinthians 1.20. This is a glorious verse. And the Apostle Paul uses it and preaches doctrine while explaining that he was a man of integrity and the Corinthian church was wrong for their criticism of him, that he made his decisions in lightness, and he wrote 1 Corinthians 16, the previous epistle, and said that he would come and visit them in lightness and in a fickle way that he wasn't really intending to fulfill because they didn't like Paul because they were charismatics. And when you find charismatics, they don't like someone that preaches doctrine and has authority. And that church disliked the Apostle Paul, though he founded it, and though he spent 18 months there at that church, he had a perpetual problem with them. And I could show you the verses in 1 Corinthians where he had to defend himself against those who were trying him, proving him, and examining him. The entire membership of that church put together wasn't sufficiently rich in character to have tried or examined the Apostle Paul. It's a terrible story. The four chapters that end 2 Corinthians are the Apostle Paul defending himself to this church. They forced him to boast, and could he ever boast when he was pushed to boasting? Chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 are the apostle defending himself. So when he comes, I just gave you that little bit of perspective. I do not want to spend very much time on this context, but the context will help you understand what it means. All the promises in him are yea, and in him, amen. They are not yea, yea. They are not nay, nay. What does that mean? That means the fickle state of this world and of everyone and of everything you're ever going to encounter in this world except one. Right. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And He brings to pass 
all the promises that God has ever made are founded upon Him. He upholds all things by the word of His power, and by Him all things consist. Your future in this world and the next, the veracity and truthfulness of the doctrine that we preach is all based on the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul said in verse 15, because of the good things that we did have with you and that you had with us, verse 15, I was minded to come unto you before. See, he's writing from Philippi for the second time. He wrote 1 Corinthians from Philippi, and he wrote 2 Corinthians from Philippi, and the poor Corinthians did not take that too well, that he wrote both times from Philippi, so it appeared that they were getting more attention than Corinth got. And he said in 2 Corinthians here, verse 15, I was minded to come unto you before. I was going to route from Ephesus through Corinth up into the upper half of Greece to Philippi, Macedonia, turn around and come back down so that you would get two visits out of me and that I could have a second benefit with the church there in Corinth. The second benefit being after the first benefit of him spending 18 months there and getting the church established. And so we are through verse 15. Verse 16, I was going to pass by you into Macedonia and to come again out of Macedonia to you. You would help me get to Ephesus and then on my way to Judea because I wanted to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost. These things are stated in the book of Acts. And if we read through 1 and 2 Corinthians, verse 17, When I therefore was thus minded, when I wrote you, 1 Corinthians 16, and when I let you know my intentions, were my intentions just the, the fickle intentions of a man that uses lightness, that lightly says yea, lightly says no, was I a man that said, yeah, 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 I'll be there. And then when, you, when time came for you to be there, nah, nah, I'm not going to go. That's what it means. Am I a man that would say, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. And then when I should be there, nah, nah, I'm not coming. Hey, brother, will you go to the gun show with me next month? Yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. Then the next month rolls around, nah, nah, I'm not going to go. That's what it means. Did I use lightness? When I made a promise, when I made an intention, when I declared my plans, when I showed you my mind, did I use lightness? Or was I just basing it on my flesh that I wanted you all to feel good while I closed out 1 Corinthians 16? Because verses 1 through 9 are his description of how he wanted to visit them. And that's what he's saying in verse... 17, when I therefore was thus minded to visit you, did I use lightness? The World Health Organization certainly believes in lightness. They're changing all the time. The Catholics, lightness. The Mormons, lightness. Because they change. Right. And so Paul is appealing. He's, he's creating this illustration for them. Why are you criticizing me for a change in plans? The change in plans was not because I promised lightly, and the change in plans was not because I did it in the flesh and was trusting my flesh. Verses 8 through 10 already told us why he didn't get there. 
trouble arose at Ephesus that he couldn't go that way. He had to go north in Asia to Troas and then pass over into Macedonia. And all of this is found by just reading the Bible. Verse 18. Now the apostle says, Do you really think that I'm a fickle man that just in lightness made a promise? You think I'm just a yay, yay guy to make you feel good? And then when it actually came to performing, nah, I'm not going to do it. You know, the Bible commends the character of a man that will make an oath and still perform even when it's costly. Psalm 15. Who sweareth to his own hurt. Still does it. That was what Paul was like. But Paul is going to take his word of a visit and combine it with his word of preaching and say, I've never lied and I've never used lightness. I have preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is all yay. It is never changed. We never back off it. It is yay. So he says that in verse 18, but as God is true, our word towards you was not yay and nay. I wasn't giving you some just flippant, light, little, fickle answer when I said I was going to come and visit. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us. And here are the three men that were in Corinth for the first benefit, for the founding of that church. And even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. It was all positive. It was all a declaration of truth, and we never changed it. This is the truth. Yes, it is indeed. It is truly and verily the truth of God. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. What I get to preach is all the promises of God, and they are all absolutely certain for the glory of God because they are all contingent and dependent upon the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So every promise of God is yea and amen. Amen. Someone says to you from now on, God's going to take care of you. Yea and amen. And do you know what you're saying? Because God's promises are found in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will certainly come to pass. Christ laid down his life for me. How shall God not with him also freely give us all things? According to Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Yea and amen. Oh, what a savior we have. What a preacher and teacher of our religion that we have. Thank you, blessed God. Thank you, Lord. For 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Much more could be said about that verse, but let's move on. Jesus is the yes of our religion. God has promised. Christ has worked. All is certain. Jesus is the amen of our faith. God promised. He died. Heaven is truly, verily yours. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. By us is in there because that's what Paul, Silvanus, and Timotheus got to preach. It's under the glory of God because God made promises to show kindness and love and favor for us for eternity, for his own glory. But it's all contingent upon Jesus coming and dying for us and being and putting that covenant into force where all the blessings are ours. But Jesus did his part. So in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God are yea and amen. 
I got you a soundbite. Josiah, I'm thinking about you right now. I got you a soundbite for the rest of your life. All the promises of God are yea and amen. Micaiah, yea and amen. Asher, yea and amen. I couldn't read the verse for two or three weeks to my wife without bawling. I'm not bawling right now. If bawling would help you, give me a minute. <laughs> I don't find anywhere in Scripture that tears make a, make a sermon better. You say, well, I've heard some tearful sermons and they were pretty good. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe you hadn't been taught well around those sermons. I just want to give you the Word of God and I want you to have a soundbite that you can hold on to for the rest of your life. Yay and amen. Do you know who the yay and amen is? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that, uh, in a minute, and I've only got a couple, there is no uncertainty or things to doubt in our religion. There is no uncertainty and there is nothing to doubt in our religion. All is certain in Christ. Think mathematically, probability and statistics with me for a moment. It's called a future expectation. The value of a future expectation includes the probability of that outcome. The value of a future expectation depends on the probability of that outcome. Is it 90% probable? Then we've got to multiply it by 90%. Is it only 10% probable? Then we've got to multiply it by 10%. I tell you, for all the promises of God in Him are 100% outcome, because they are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, under the glory of God by us. You may bet on any promise of God for a 100% payout and no chance of any loss. You may cast yourself upon Him and run to Him for refuge for a 100% payout. There will be no shortcuts. There will be no misses. There will be no mathematical errors. There will be no deprivation. There will be no change. Because all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. By next Sunday, you won't have to work at memorizing it. I will help you memorize it. An expected outcome, follow me, an expected outcome with a 1% chance of total loss is very terrible. If you have before you a 99% chance of heaven and a 1% chance of hell, that is a terrible predicament. Because the 1% is not that you lose a week's wages or that you have to take a demotion. It's that you have to go to hell for eternity. But in Christ Jesus, there is no 1% loss. It's a 100% payout in this life and in the next. All of his promises are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. God's standard is very high. I could turn you to Deuteronomy chapter 18, the last three verses, and it tells us there that if a prophet ever made a prophecy and it did not come to pass even one time, though many others had come to pass, that prophet was to be killed. For all the promises of God in that prophet were not yea and not amen because there was one failure. 
And it says one failure is too much for our God. And that's why we have 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Why did Jesus often use a unique double affirmative in the Gospel of John? When I say a unique double affirmative, what is it? Verily, verily. Veracity is truth. Veracity is certainty. And Jesus would open up 25 of his arguments by saying, Verily, verily, a double use of veracity that what is about to come out of my mouth is absolute and certain truth because all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. I want you to hold on to this for the rest of your lives. It doesn't matter what happens outside this room, all the promises of God, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. All the promises of God are in him yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. You can pass through the curtain of death. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, under the glory of God by us. While the world's foundations crumble, and Brother Zach H. presented that to us recently from Psalm 82, while the world's foundations crumble, Jesus Christ is sure forever. The foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Jesus cannot and Jesus will not change. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. The rules of the universe and its future outcome are all perfectly under his power. You may trust him fully. You may give him your marriage. You may give him your family. You may give him your health. You may give him your life. You may give him your soul. You may give him your death. You may give him your eternity. Because he is able to please God, and he did please God in every way. And so that all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen. You may trust him wholly as we sing, for he is wholly true and will never change. He is holy. He is true. Look at Revelation with me for just a a couple of minutes. Revelation, please. Just a a few minutes. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He that is holy, he that is true. That word true there is really what 2 Corinthians 1 is all about. When it says, yea and amen, we are a yes religion, and I am a yes man. When I say yes, I have intended and planned and purposed to the best of my ability to come and visit you, but there were circumstances that kept me from you. And when you read eight verses 8 through 10, pressed out of measure, when the Apostle Paul says pressed out of measure and despairing even of life, it was terrible at Ephesus because it was a riot. And if you go read about it, it's the last part of Acts chapter 19. But there was a second reason he didn't come, because he heard a report about this church. And so he said in the last two verses, Moreover, i got to go ahead and admit that the reason I didn't come was to spare you. Because if I'd have come in the spirit I was in when I heard the report about the accusations against me and what was going on in your church, you would not have wanted me to visit. So there were really two reasons. But he had intended with every purpose to keep his word. Just like God's word is true, 
He's, he wants you to believe about himself that as his preaching is true, so are his private commitments true. And brethren, there's a lesson for every one of us men. When we, say, when we give our word, our word better be true. Our word better be as true as the gospel is true. We need to keep our word. You're looking at Revelation 3, 7. It says, he that is holy, he that is true. Amen. That's what we're looking for. Look at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith, Oh. These things saith the, Now amen is no longer an interjection. Amen is an interjection. It means the end. Amen is an interjection. Be it so in truth. It's an interjection. I agree with that. But now it's no interjection here. It's a noun. And under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. What does Amen mean? The faithful and true witness. Truly, verily. What does Amen mean when it's used like this? Truly, verily. For in Him all the promises of God, for all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him, Amen, truly and verily, all of God's promises will come to pass. Look at 1.5, same book, Revelation. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Jesus Christ is faithful. Jesus Christ has declared the gospel in the, in the gospels. Then he gave it to his apostles who wrote it down for us in the epistles. And every word is true. He is faithful and true with a capital F and a capital T. He is the faithful witness. He is the amen, amen. to everything the gospel brings to us. Every promise of heaven, every promise of eternal justification, every blessing found in Scripture is true by the performance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What could we substitute for the word truth in that declaration? I am the yea. I am the amen. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. The entire universe hangs on the word of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He upholds you and you consist right now as a physical body and your spirit hasn't left for heaven because your body has died by the voice of his power. He is the yea and amen of God. And I want you to trust in him and believe on him. The devils know our Jesus very well, and they know that he is no imposter. Jesus we know, and Paul we know. They knew that Paul wasn't an imposter. They knew that Paul preached the truth. But who are ye? They said to seven men who thought they would try the game of exorcism and cast devils out of one man. They know Jesus. They know Paul. May they know us as well. And they know their end, that Jesus is going to come and cast them into hell, and they know imposters. If there be any imposters in this church, may the devil and the Lord Jesus Christ sort them out of here. We don't want any. Put your trust in the Lord, for all the promises of God in Him are yea, and in Him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Jesus cannot and will not fail, nor will He be discouraged. As we recently learned in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Wonderful verses there. I want you to turn. 
I'm just going to read it to you. It is Isaiah 9 and verse 7. 6 is the one that everyone memorizes. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. It is a wonderful verse. It is one of the top verses in the Bible. But I never want you to forget about the yea and amen in the next verse. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. It's Isaiah 9, 7. But you can turn to Romans 8 and we close. Romans 8, you should know this well. But do you know that it's, the yea, it's a yea and amen verse? I'm sorry that I did not get to any of the yea and amen verses. I, this is just my introduction. I have, some, I have a few yea and amen verses. Let's go ahead and call this one for now so that I won't feel like I deprived you entirely. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, under the glory of God by us. Romans 8, 38, for I am persuaded. Are you persuaded, brethren? I am persuaded fully. Are you persuaded? Can you pass through death with your persuasion? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. And amen. Is that what it says in your Bibles? It doesn't say that in your Bibles? Would that be good if it said that in your Bibles? It'd be good, but it wouldn't be great. Do you know what makes it great? For all the promises of God and all the love of God is in Him, yea, and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God. Those ten things listed there cannot separate you from that love, and nor can anything else outside those, that list of ten things, because God's love is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is part of the true religion of the true and living God, and it is yea, and it is amen, and amen. You are dismissed.